This is episode number 150 of the Rising Man podcast with Johnny Elsasser. You can run and lie from everyone except yourself. What's up, Rising Man family? Welcome back to the show. My name is Jetty Azuma. I'm the host and creator of this podcast and the founder of the Rising Man Movement. Thank you for joining us here today. Before we jump into the episode, I want to give you that reminder to go to risingman.org. If whether you've been listening to the podcast for a few weeks, a few months, or since the very beginning, we got something there for you that's going to help you raise your level, to lift your game up to step into the fire even more deeply than you have. You know, we're coming up on a new year. 2020 is almost over. You guys got to hang in there. I know we got one more month left. There's still time. There's still time to sharpen your edge and to make 2021 the best year you could possibly have. So go to risingman.org, find a way to get more involved with the community instead of just listening to the podcast back in the comforts of your car or your room or wherever you're listening to us. It's time to get in, time to get busy. All right. Today's guest is Johnny Elsasser. Johnny is a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger with four combat tours and former protective specialist to the U.S. Ambassador to Iraq. He has transitioned from a high-octane alpha life to helping men define and create themselves based on their terms. Through his coaching and the wild man experience, Johnny now helps men lower their walls, create a close tribe of brothers, and enrich their lives through the understanding of themselves and connecting them to the wild man inside. In this episode, Johnny and I dropped in about rewriting the masculine narrative. As a former U.S. Army Ranger, Johnny shared about the version of masculinity he received during his training and service. We talked about the importance of having a team and the greater context of consequences and how our actions ripple out to affect so many others. Johnny spoke about growing up as the clown, how the lighthearted dimension of masculinity served him and how he learned to dial it back through military service. We also spoke about the fear of success. What does it mean when we surpass our parents, our fathers, and why we self-sabotage to stop ourselves from having to step up? And last but not least, why it's imperative for a man to have his own code and how to get clear on what your values are today. Without further ado, Johnny L. Sasser. Rising Man fam, I got another amazing man joining me here on the podcast today, the host and creator of the Art of Masculinity podcast, Johnny Olsasa. I told you I wasn't going to try it, but I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How was that? Was that all right? That's pretty good, man. The German way, yeah. The German way. Johnny Elsasser for all of us phonetic folks out there coming in live from just outside of DC. How you feeling today, bro? Good, brother. Just super humbled to be on here and just jamming out with you. I always love our conversation. So this is going to be a lot of fun, man. Thank you for having me. Likewise, bro. Yeah, I had the great honor of being a guest on your podcast. It felt like yesterday, but I guess it was a little over a week ago now. And we were just getting warmed up then. So I'm looking to pick up right where we left off and, and keep the jam flowing. Absolutely, man. Me too. Cool. I know you listen to the podcast, so you probably saw this one coming a mile away, man. So what is the difference between a boy and a man? Uh, my opinion is the difference between a boy and a man is that a boy is someone who is reacting to society based on everything that's been given to them. And they're not making cognitive decisions on who they actually want to show up as. A man is somebody that owns their flaws, 
They own their indecision. They own their ability to accept the things in their lives that they create. And they're able to learn from that and make cognitive decisions, intentional decisions on who they are trying to be and who they're trying to show up as. Yeah. I love that definition, man. Especially what I heard in it was the difference between reacting and responding. And it's such a great polarization between the boy and the man. And that even as boys, you know, I think about my son, he's always my reference for boyhood, authentic boyhood, that he's walking around reacting to his environment all day long. He's learning to respond more and to gather himself before he just blurts it out. But his genuine response most of the time is just a reaction. It's exactly how he's feeling and he lets you know. And there's a beauty in that. There's an authenticity in that, that a lot of us tend to, we learn how to cover it up. We learn how to throw a mask on it and armor it up. And we know what kind of route that sends us down when we're doing that, especially as men in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there is. And I, yeah, I don't want to downplay that. The reactions really, it, it can serve a great purpose in your life. But then at the end of the day, when you become, when you're that man and people are looking to you as a leader and stuff like that, when you react without thinking that has implications as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which goes into another layer of what it means to be a man for me is to be a defender and a protector. And that's not always protecting the village from the saber-toothed tiger. Sometimes it's protecting and providing safety and comfort for people despite large emotions and big energy in a space. So, you know, a lot of times it's not always that you have to suppress and conceal your emotions, but to be able to, to be a master of them and to know when it's demanded of you and needed of you to show up as grounded and present for the sake of others. Absolutely. And owning those emotions too, though, that's that other feature is like, regardless is, is owning it, you know, not running from it, not trying, like you said, not trying to suppress it, but owning those emotions as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that, man. And so here's a follow-up question that you probably didn't see coming. And (laughs) what kind of boy were you, Uh, you know, what kind of boy were you when you were growing up? Oh, super reactive, super, present. I didn't think 10 steps ahead and I wasn't thinking in the past either. I was incredibly present in the moment and just kind of lived life that way all the way up until I was probably, uh, yeah, until I was about 17 and actually in the military at that point. So yeah, I was a very, very much reactive boy for sure. Yeah. So give us a little bit more. Were you like a troublemaker? Were you the, you know, straight A student, class clown, <laughs> quiet guy? Dude, I was the class clown. So I loved, I, I just loved comedy growing up. My family called me smiley. I was always smiling. My mom told me I should be a lawyer because I could talk my head off. So I could talk and I could smile. And so I loved being that boy growing up and just really had no I had no expectations of limitations when I was a kid and that kind of transpired as I got older as well. So I'm really grateful to have that part of me. But as a boy, it was, it was reactive, but it was, it was fun for me. Like I loved being the class clown. I was not a straight A student. I knew exactly how to get by. I knew what palms to grease to get A's or get B's or get C's so I could just get through, you know, school. It wasn't that I was stupid. It just, I didn't really want to put an effort into it. My effort was all into playing soccer and having friends and, having a good time joking around and stuff like that. So I wasn't, I really didn't value school. It wasn't part of my system. Even though my mom always told me like, you got to go get a college degree. You got to do this. You got to do that. But like, I didn't value that growing up whatsoever. It was all about just having fun. I literally just remember that and being present with the friends, being present with my family and stuff like that. And that's where really where I got, I got enjoyment from, but it was a completely reactive to every immediate environment and typically reactive with comedy, right? Right. <laughs> so. I hated guys like you in school, man. I was the, 
<laughs> I was a straight A student, never had detention, didn't want to get in trouble, wanted to do my work, super obedient. And when guys like you would just disrupt the space, it made me so uncomfortable. Although there was like a part of me, I think even deeper down, I didn't acknowledge back then or didn't, wasn't even aware of that wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that can make everybody laugh, but I was just so terrified of the repercussions. I was so afraid of getting in trouble and then being labeled as the bad kid. I didn't even try. Oh, I, that was the thing. The whole thing about being present with all like my peers was that I didn't care about the repercussions because I knew I was smart enough to not get like a D or an F. So I would just do it and I'd get in trouble, whatever. Like I remember in junior high, I actually had one of my teachers grew up with my mom and went to high school with her. So she put me in the back of the class and I would still disrupt the class. And then she would tell my mom like, Hey, why is he like just always getting involved in just like being comedic in class and not doing any of his work? But I mean, he's not stupid. He just doesn't really do anything. And so it was just really funny because I'll never forget that time is like, I didn't really care that she knew my mom. I didn't care. I got put in the back of the class. Like I knew that I could still be funny and entertain people and then also still get by. So like, uh-huh. that yeah. was just being that, but that was that presence for me. That's where my enjoyment was as well. Yeah. I mean, there's always a gift and a blessing in it, right? I think it's that authentic nature that's within us. That's probably the easy part. So in contrast to that, what are the things that as you got older and you started to journey into manhood, We'll skip past the military for a second here and just talk about what was it that you needed to learn how to embrace? What parts, what other dimensions of masculinity did you most have to learn how to embody? Mm, That's such a good, good question. The features of masculinity I needed to learn how to embody was, in my opinion, for me, what I had to really struggle with was not suppressing the emotions, something that we already talked about. That was a big struggle for me and allowing myself to accept those emotions, but then also the introspection. Why was I feeling that? Why was I offended by this? Because, you know, being a present person and reacting, that also, you know, we talk about the funny part of it. But when I was, you know, a younger adult man, that got me into fights, that got me into problems, bar fights, shit like that. And so it got me into into situations where, yeah, the reaction was not actually being reactive was not serving a good purpose in my life. Now, thank God I never got put in jail or anything like that, but it didn't put me in great situations in a lot of cases. So I had to learn, number one, to own those emotions, which I think is incredibly important for men, but I had to do the introspection of why that was coming up, why I was judging that person or why I was judging myself, why I was being a harsh critic on who I was, why was that, why did I feel like a failure, why did I react that way? That introspection did not come until probably about like maybe four years ago, five years ago, and that's when I really started to have those development moments as a man. But that's what I really was seeking. And that's where I think a lot of guys struggle just because they're not sure it's okay to do that. And I didn't know it was okay to do that. I thought that you couldn't share with other men and you couldn't really evaluate yourself honestly, because then you had to deal with it. And that was the other portion that I really had to find as a man is that shit, being vulnerable with other men is probably one of the biggest tools in our arsenal because it's so healthy to have those real conversations and understand you're not alone. And that was, again, one of the things I struggled with and I wish I would have known a lot earlier was that if I had the real conversations, maybe my first marriage would have still worked out, right? Like if I had the real conversations with other men and realized I wasn't the only one in that state or only one in that mindset, I could have changed something to make that better, right? And I didn't take accountability of all those things. I didn't take accountability of myself, my actions. I didn't take accountability of that introspection. And that's what I really now 
you know, looking back retrospectively, I look at it and it's like, wow, the difference that could have made at the earlier times as a man, if I would have known how important those pieces were is just, it's amazing. Oh man. Well, let's put a bookmark in that because I need a little more context before we jump into how you got here. Let's rewind back to the class clown, 17 years old, joining the military. How do you go from class clown to to special operations U.S. Army Ranger? Yeah, man. And that's a good question. It was pure. It actually, it was pure presence. So I didn't, <laughs> this was, I guess the naivety of it was really good because I didn't understand what I was getting into first off. <laughs> right. But the fact that I was so present and enjoying high school so much and enjoying my friends and soccer and everything, I didn't realize I actually had to take tests to go to college. <laughs> so all my friends are showing up. Hey man, I got this, got accepted to this college. I got accepted to this college. And I'm like, oh, my family's just, you know, blue collar, just basic family. We don't have money for college. I'm not going to take a test. And I didn't really know like, okay, that's it's that important. But I also didn't do any forethought on what the heck I was going to do after high school. So I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And I remember this, we were in the quad of high school and he goes, Hey man, have you ever heard of, he wasn't trying to sell me on him. He's just like, Hey man, this is really cool. I came across these special forces guys, these army Rangers, Navy SEALs, all the stuff. Like, have you ever heard of this stuff? Like, how do you even get there? And I was like, I don't know, freaking guys crazy. They go to the army or military and they go and do crazy stuff. So fast forward, I get to the end of high school and I'm like, Oh crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> I have nowhere to go right now. I have nowhere to be present right now. And no one tipped you doing. off. No one was like, Hey Johnny, what are you going to do after school? <laughs> okay. Nobody, nobody was like, and I love my parents, but no one was like, Hey bro, like, what are you going to do? And like, even if you're going to city college, you got some stuff you still got to set up. Like nobody told me anything. So I was like, ah, oh, crap, what am I doing? So walk in somehow inter- get intertwined with, you know, potentially going to the military And I was like, all right, walk into the recruiter's office. And I talked to some army recruiter and I was like, hey, man, I like army rangers. Can we do that thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would just want to get you in. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So you take a test and you do like a physical test. And I pass all these things. And that's where like I get into this. I get into the medical background and they're like, it was hot in the war at the time. This was 2004. So hot in the war at the time in Iraq and Afghanistan, and they want to send me to this regular army unit, just a regular military unit and not downplaying them. But I, I didn't know any difference. I was 17 years old and I was like, and the guy's telling me the recruiters like, yeah, man, you can just get Rangers afterwards, but go to this unit and we're going to send you there for the regular army unit. And they were sending all these guys to Fallujah, which was really, really hot at the time. And I was like, just to, you know, a lot of ways just to be bullet catchers, to be another body there. And I was like, all right, man, cool. I'm 17. I don't know. You know, it's better, right? So like I go and defer and all of a sudden I have this contract to go into regular army and I'm like completely present. I don't think about anything forward or backwards. I'm like, okay, I'm here, whatever. Getting a basic training. I'm doing really well. I smash. I'm, you know, at this point, I'm obviously a great runner. I played soccer for a long time. So I'm hitting two miles in 11 minutes and 30 seconds. I'm freaking crushing out my PT test. And I get a drill sergeant who asked me what contract I want. And this is where, again, I was completely present. I didn't know. And he's like, I was like, Hey, I'd I'd love to go Rangers. And he goes, cool. Get back upstairs, go upstairs, come down the next day, calls me back over. And he says, Hey, sign this contract, literally airborne army Rangers contract. And I was like, what the heck just happened? So I signed, I was like, whatever. So then after basic training and everything, go right to airborne school and then right to ranger indoctrination program, which is our weeding out section for going into spec ops. 
And you couldn't be the class clown there anymore because you got your ass kicked if you were the class clown. (laughs) So I had to be very careful of that. So that was really that transition. Once I hit that military, the presence part of me served me very, very well. I didn't look past the day I was in and I didn't care what was in store for me the next day. I just looked. It was like one foot in front of the other. And that was my biggest asset going through all of that training. But it weeded out the class clown, at least for a time being, right? Like, sure. Well, did he like pop was, up on day one? Was he like smiling and like looking around? Trying oh, to... yeah. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, he was. And they're, like, they're looking at you. Why the fuck are you smiling right now, private? And you're like, uh, I don't have a good answer for this. Why are you answering me right now? Oh, shit. I don't know. Why do you keep answering? (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's, yeah, it got, he showed up, man. He was there, but he got weeded out real quick because I learned, I learned in that environment is capital punishment, you know? So if I do something stupid, I'm not the only one getting punished. Jetty's getting punished too. Everybody around us is getting punished too. So you want to be the class clown. Cool. But now all your buddies are going to pay for it. And sometimes the other thing that sometimes is they won't even make you pay for it. They only make your buddies pay. Only your team. Oh, that's the worst, man. Yeah. I've been on teams where I fucked up and they issue a consequence and it's like, all right, watch everybody else here. Do your pushups. And it's like, oh man, can I just do everybody else's pushups? Like, no, no, no. Suck that up. Yeah. And that's the easy way out, man. That's the easy way. I'll just pay for everybody. Nope. Nope. You have to sit here and watch everybody suffer. Yeah. Let's just highlight that for a minute. Cause I, when I first saw that on a team, I was like, wow, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense at all to me. Everybody's supposed to be accountable to their own fuck ups. But the greater teaching I got from one of the elder men on the team was that everything we do in life has consequences already built in. And every action that we take has ripples that affect other people. So this is just a reminder and illustration of how our actions have consequences for other people too. And that maybe now when you go out there and you're dicking around, you'll think about what are those repercussions that I'm maybe not present to because I'm not looking at them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's the thing too, is it also, it anchors in that protector like you were talking about. It anchors in the protector because now your team is affected by your consequences. And while in training or something like that, it's insignificant because it's just like a physical punishment. But in when, you know, I got into spec ops and I'm over on missions, that fuck up could cause somebody to die and it could cause somebody to get significantly wounded and it could cause a lot bigger issues. So your decisions were split second decisions, but were based on the greater good for the team. And that's where I loved, I look back at it and I love that punishment style because it makes me always think of the team first. Mm -hmm. Perfect example, man, of learning that lesson when the stakes are low when it's pushups or or running until you puke, right? Versus when you're actually on the battlefield. And for those of us who are not in the armed forces, when you're just in the battlefield of life so that you have that understanding and appreciation for when you go home and things are crazy in your house and your wife and your kids are going nuts. You remember that, wow, okay, the way I show up right now is going to have consequences and implications for everybody. So how do I want to respond, right? Back to what you were saying before, instead of how do I just react to how I'm feeling? Absolutely. Yeah. Calculated and intentional response that you know is going to have that ripple effect that is positive, not that punishment for everybody else. Uh That's beautiful, man. Let's tap into a little bit more of your military background. I know you were on multiple tours and at a time when it was, like you said, really hot. Like There's so much going on at the time where you were in the military. What did you learn about being a man in the military, both what served you and maybe the things that you still carry with you today? 
and some of the things that you learned but had to let go of in the in recent years? Oh, I love this question. So one of the biggest things I learned of was what we kind of just touched on, and that was, you know, looking out for the team members first and putting yourself really in a position that you're always going to benefit them as much as possible. The other thing I really learned about being a man is to be a good man and to be a good leader, you have to always be willing to get in the trenches with the men or even the gals that you're with, right? And what I mean by this is not just militarily. This isn't just that. This is in life too. Think of the guy that's the manager or the CEO, right? They want to tell you exactly what needs to get done. They want to give you the big picture, but how many of them are willing to actually get down back in those trenches with you and actually do the work when it's hard? and say, wow, man, they're really struggling. They're working till 10 o'clock at night. Let me get in here and give my expertise. Let me get in here and take some of this workload. You don't see that very often. And so as a man and as a leader, that was one of the things that I gained significantly from that military experience because there's never going to be a place in my life where I'm not willing to get back and do the work. Everybody gets so scared when they get to this certain mountaintop that, man, I made it. I made it. I got up here. Everybody else now gets to work for me. Cool. I'm going to sit back, put my feet up. No, brother, like you have to get back in there and work because guess what? The times aren't always going to be peachy. It's not always going to be a good time for everybody. It's not always going to be an easy thing for everybody. And you need to go in there and show them that you can do this too. And guess what? They're going to follow you anywhere when you do that. They're going to trust you when you do that. And this goes for your families too, being a good leader with your family. When you're willing to do the work with them, not for them, but with them, then you guys create that stronger bond as a nuclear unit, right? So I loved learning that. I loved having that feature as a man. That's something I gained the most out of it. And like I said, putting your team before you, you know, always looking at the consequences on how it's going to affect the people around you. That was some of the things that I learned really, really well and loved. Uh, A couple of the things that I really struggled with was it was really a sense of purpose as a man. So I, when I was in the military and when I did protection, there was always a higher purpose, right? It was the protector. It was, you know, saving people. It was fighting for, you know, our flag. It was fighting for the people at home. There's this really big purpose on top of it, but it was never aligned with my foundation as a man and not saying that those things weren't, but when they were taken away, I lost who I was. So when those got taken away, it obviously wasn't a purpose I created with my masculinity, with my foundations. It was a purpose I was serving, but it wasn't created by me. And so as a man, one of the things that I lost with that was who I was, which means that my foundation wasn't strong. And if you're going to be that strong leader, that strong man, that strong father, that strong husband, all those features, you have to create that foundation yourself and always be anchored in who that man is looking back at you in the mirror with the purpose that he has, that he created, not that somebody else put in front of you or a period or season in your life that you are attached to. And so one of the things I had a hard time doing was letting go of that. I had to let go of that to then become the man that I am now. And it doesn't mean that I forgot who I was. And it doesn't mean I didn't keep a lot of the skills or the traits. It just meant that I didn't live in that past. I acknowledged it, but I had to change my presence to live in the future. Right. And so that's really, that was one of the biggest releases I had to do. I had to, you know, basically 
write a eulogy for myself and allow that man to die in the past and to value him for all the things that he gave me, but realize that he had to pass for me to grow. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. What you just said right there is the absolute indication of a, of a rite of passage, a genuine release and burial of a former self and the opening of a possibility to a new one. And it brings up a couple of questions for me. First of all, I wonder how many other men or women, but let's just stick with men since that's the topic, are actually giving themselves that experience when they exit the armed forces or even have the awareness to do so. I don't know how unique that is to you. And then also, is the conversation of a unique self encouraged from the military or, or maybe at least what you receive from the military? Because I know that from the outside looking in, and I know I might have a very naive perspective, it seems like there's a lot of message around, you know, taking care of yourself and taking care of your fellow soldier. And it also looks like there's a stripping away of any other identity that you could be attached to that would prevent you from being fully in service and fully in protection mode. So I don't want to assume anything. I'd like to hear your perspective on what you receive from it. So let's look at the, we'll look at the transition piece first, and then we'll look at your second question with that kind of stripping and that uniqueness that you can still have. So the transition portion, I think is a big thing that most people struggle with. And I love that you hit that because a lot of people coming out of the military, that's why we have high suicide rates, drug addictions, and people get really, I actually had a conversation with this about this with somebody today, but this is where a lot of our military guys and gals struggle is because society doesn't even know how to value their skills. And the problem is, is we're tied in the military so much to this persona and skill set that we've gained there that when we come out, nobody knows how to value you. You can't get a job that doesn't pay you more than forty or $50,000 a year because nobody knows what your real job was in the military because they don't understand it. You have a hard time finding the value for yourself in society. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. And if you don't have that strong foundation with who you are, regardless of being in the military or out of the military, this is where a lot of people falter. And that's why all these you know, percentages of suicide rates and things like that and you know, homelessness and addiction they're so high for former military people because there's just no value system from society when they have to come back to the real world. If they leave paramilitary, the military or a government environment, they're completely lost, completely lost. So they struggle with that. And if they don't build those strong pillars, then it doesn't translate to them doing well in regular society. Um, And then they don't know how to ask for help because they're taught that they're strong enough to be able to do things on their own. Like you can trace back to when people were in the military because you can trace back to the slogan that they had when they were signing up. So it's always changing for the army, Marines, everything. And when I was in the army, it was army of one, right? So it's this unit, but it also is this mindset of, oh, I am an army of one. I'm so capable of doing all these things. Well, what happens when all that capability is outside of your hands? Holy crap. I don't know what I'm doing now. I don't have control of any of this stuff. Oh crap. Where do I go? What do I do? I can't ask for help. I can't call Jetty because I'm so insecure because I didn't develop these foundations. I can't call Jetty to help me because I'm just terrified of of exposing the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. You know? So so that becomes a really big issue with transition and it's a struggle for a lot of people. Now that being said, there's a different mindset in my opinion from special operations and I think this kind of bleeds right into the uniqueness that you were talking about. And in the general military, from Marines to Army to Navy to all of it, Air Force, everybody is broken down to have this base feature, right? And that's what it is in the regular military. 
But when you go to special operations, it's a small percentage of even the military. It's like 0.1% of the US military is even in the special operations umbrella, something like that. It's really low. And there, there's more flexibility for uniqueness because they need you to think outside the box because you are outside of general warfare. It's a different ball game out there because you're put in completely different situations and you have to be able to think outside the box. So the way I envision this and might make sense for all your listeners is that just imagine the regular you know, military people are kept inside of this basic box, right? They get the four corners to think about. But when you get to special operations, they want you to have that base box of understanding what it is to be in the military, of understanding protocol, procedures, everything. But they want you to have an opening in that box to be able to jump outside of it and kind of look back into it and look outside of it to say, hey, I got a unique problem to be a good leader out here because these aren't common problems that the regular military is seeing. You got to understand that you have to look somewhere else and the general answers aren't always going to serve you. Those four corners won't serve you. So it's almost like having this gate and knowing when you're able to step outside of it and stay in it. And at that level, there's just a different mindset. There's a different level of thinking. So most of the guys are capable of jumping outside of that. And the guys that aren't end up getting either kicked out or they end up not being successful as leaders and they end up not actually achieving even a leadership role. Mm. Wow, man, that's that's really fascinating. And it makes sense why, you know, that special operations unit would need to have that uniqueness. I think of like, I think of the X-Men, right? They all, they all have their special unique abilities. And, and when you put them together, that's what enables them to vanquish the enemy at a high level. And that sort of baseline robotic idea of a foot soldier that is portrayed in movies or portrayed in, in media, that that's the part where they want you to be a certain way. And is, is that about control? Is that about being able to lead people when they don't have that uniqueness or that character that stands out. Are you saying in the like the regular military is that like yeah yeah more like just... yeah more like what you were saying like on the baseline military where they're looking yeah. to strip that away. Yeah, because my opinion in there, people have all different mindsets of why they got in. Maybe it's for college. Maybe it's because they didn't know what they were going to do after high school, right? Maybe it was for they were really, really having a hard time trying to live life. So they needed somebody to take care of them like Uncle Sam, right? Like so many different reasons of why they got in there. And not all of those reasons are going to you know, perpetuate somebody that is a good leader. So in the regular military units, you get the leaders and it, it is a lot about that control because then those leaders have full control of, over everybody below them. Those leaders that are put in place, they're able to say, hey, all you people that just need to be followers, great, just be followers. That's all I need from you. Thumbs up. So they want that. Whereas like in special operations, they don't want followers. They want you guys to be leaders. You know, part of the mindset we had was know the man below you's job and know the man above you's job. And every time, because if, if Jetty goes out and we all go out as a team and Jetty gets popped and you're the freaking team leader, all of a sudden now I'm the next guy in line. I got to be able to take your job and know that I'm going to lead our men into a successful mission. Right. So the mindset was thinking outside the box. And there's a whole history behind this for what Rangers were even initially created for. But that's part of it is that, you know, that regular military mindset is, yeah, we need followers, we need bodies, we need show of force. But then Spec Ops is like, we need a small group of people that can do a lot of dangerous things and they got to be able to think outside that box. 
Right, man. And that's it makes me think of a quote from W.E.B. Du Bois. He wrote an essay called The Talented Tenth. And it was really about in order to change the construct of society, we don't need everybody to change all at once. We just need a 10% of people who are going to stand out, who are going to think critically, who are going to ask questions, who are going to challenge the norms, and that the momentum and the inertia that was created from those 10% of people stepping up would be what institutes radical change. And this was about civil rights and things that were coming up in that in that dialogue. And so it makes me think like that. And when we, when we expand this out past the military dialogue as like a metaphor microcosm of that. We need more people who are capable of thinking critically. We need people who are going to be able to stand up and step forward, challenge, ask questions, and not just be another sheep in the herd. Because that's that's what's being expected of us. And I think I was listening where I could find my experience that's relatable to yours because I was never in the military. But I remember feeling very regimented and almost like herded into a very narrow window by going through school. And the educational model, it's just, it's so geared towards creating specialized people who can do a few things in a repeatable, anticipated fashion, right? Like, I know how you're going to respond in this situation. This is what you're good at doing. And we can have a whole population of people who can do that. But that's what's creating a lot of this problem. I know that's a big passion of yours, too, is being able to find that authentic, unique person that's inside of that shell of a robot that's being constructed by the way our society is set up. Yeah. And even if you draw that back even further, think about the whole system from Roman times and from, you know, these previous civilizations. If Jetty was uh, armor and making equipment for the military, right? Or you're a metal worker or something. And Jetty had me as his son. Well, now Johnny just becomes a metal worker. Johnny doesn't get the opportunity to be anything else. That's the system that we've created. That was the civilization that we created. I followed my father's footsteps, but that people realize, and I hope people start thinking your community thinks about this right now, is think about the mindset you had when you started to become a man or a woman and think about the fact that, did you have a limiting belief on what you could become because of what your parents were? You know, And I did. I thought I was going to be a blue collar worker the rest of my life. I thought I was meant to work on cars. My dad's a mechanic or my uncle. I used to work with him and detail airplanes. I thought that was all that was in store for me. Paycheck to paycheck, live a happy life that way and you know, hope it all works out. Right. But that was a limiting belief that was created because I looked at them and said, that's the system I'm in. That's, I'm just supposed to follow that path. There's no thinking outside the box. I didn't think there was anything bigger than that. Mm. So- I was actually just having a conversation with one of my guys, Jose, the other day. We were talking about this blue collar syndrome, how there's almost like a, a guilt that we have of exceeding our parents, especially if it like comes to your father, that we could possibly have a better, more fulfilling, more expansive life than our father or, or our mother or anybody who helped to raise us. And we can self-sabotage and you know, make it have to be really hard and really complicated because we're so worried about what might happen if we move past them. And I know the big thing that came up for me was now that I'm a father and I have a son, that's all I want for him. All I want is for my son to do better than me. And it's genuine, right? It's, it's probably the one person in the world where there's absolutely no feelings of envy or jealousy of like, oh man, I wish I learned how to do that like when he did, or I wish I grew up the way he did. I don't feel any of that. I'm just grateful that he has that opportunity. And I know that every father feels that same way about his son. And so that mentality, that limiting mentality that we hold on to, because number one, it's all we've ever seen, but also maybe there's a, a fear in us of, well, what do I, what do I become when I go past what I saw my parents do? Mm, that's powerful because it's an unknown. And guess what we don't like? You know this, Jetty. 
We don't like the unknown. We don't like to be out of the comfort zone. But when you have nobody showing you the way outside of, you know, being better, say, you know, I guess better for a lack of a better term, but better than your father or better than your parents, when you're outside of that, you're like, there's this huge void of, oh crap, what do I do now? Like, what does this even look like? Like, I don't even know how to do this. So there's, it's complete fear. And that drives pretty much, I would assume most people in today's society, that's what drives them to stay in these crappy jobs they hate waking up to or the routines they completely hate just living for the weekend and all these other things, man. Yeah, man. I think so too. I think it's, I think it gives people a reason and excuse not to. It's like, oh yeah, well that, you know, I got to stay close to home. I got to do it the way my parents did it. I got to do it the way my folks did it and give a lot of lip service to wanting a different kind of life. Well, oh yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. requires stepping outside into the bounds of what's unknown, what's uncomfortable. And, yeah, and then there's the failure piece, you know, it's like, oh man, if, if I'm a mechanic and I fail, I know how to fix that. I can just go be a mechanic somewhere else, or I can do I can be an apprentice somewhere else, or I can call my dad and say, Hey dad, how do I do this? Show me how to do it. Right? Like there's almost no risk of failure in that comfort zone. But when you're outside of that and you've never seen it before, you're like, I don't even know what failure is going to look like when it comes knocking at my door. Cause it will, I don't even know what it looks like. I don't know who I'm going to turn to for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a big one too, man. Is that moment where if you do choose a path of something different than what you saw. You know, I think of the entrepreneurship or anything that's unique and creative. That day where you realize I can't call my parents and ask them for help because they won't have an answer to this one. That's a huge moment, right? It's like, I can't even pick up the phone and ask them because I know that they have no clue how to handle this. They're just gonna, all they're gonna do is tell me, it's all right, you'll figure it out, right? It's like a rite of passage in itself is that moment when we say, oh yeah, I can't, they, they don't have anything for me anymore. That's That's a big one. So I want to talk about purpose because I know that that's the question that always comes up. Guys get really inspired about this conversation about being your authentic self, having a life of fulfillment, and then they inevitably ask some version of this question. How do I find my purpose? So what do you say when guys, especially, I I don't know if it's from a military background or just anybody who's in this, like, I'm finally willing to put in some of the work to get uncomfortable, but where do I start? Mm Mm-hmm. So for me, and I love this question, Jetty, and I don't, my answer to this may not be what everybody's expecting. Everybody that, and not everybody, a lot of people that I talk to, they talk about passion, right? Your purpose becomes your passion. Whatever you enjoy, do that. I'm not a proponent of that. I am a proponent of first starting the work on yourself and looking inside. Start to put down the pieces of a man that you want to show up as today and tomorrow. This doesn't mean the features that you were given that society's kind of predisposed you to, right? Like this isn't the features that you think your dad is. This is literally sitting down and writing these traits. And this is what I love. And this is the philosophy I have is take three to five of those traits, right? Three to five that are just absolutely 100% not shakable. Imagine the worst scenario that you're going through, but you will wake up and those three to five traits are exactly who you are when you look at yourself in the mirror and you can own that, honor it and love it, right? Like that's what I tell guys to do. Write those down. That's your foundation as your man. Now, there's all kinds of other features that are going to be built on top of that. You're not going to remember those every day. You can write out 100, 500 features that you love about you know, being a man, like how you think a good man is and what he's supposed to show up as, but they can tend to fall in every single bucket that you've created from those three to five features. So when you put those down, you can remember three to five every single day. Am I showing up this way? Am I showing up confident? Am I showing up supportive and loving? 
like whatever those features are, am I showing up that day with those traits? You can honor that in yourself and you can remember those. But if you don't do that, you're going to continue to not know what your purpose is. Because once you have those, you know the man you are. Like you know exactly who Jetty is that day and every day afterwards. And you know that no matter what happens in life, how bad it gets or how good it gets, that guy's going to show up every single time. That's where I tell guys to start because nothing outside of you makes a damn difference if you don't know who you are inside. You have to look inside. And it's the most terrifying place for us men because we don't want to do the introspection. We don't want to say, this is what I tell guys, you can run and lie to everybody else and from everybody else. Guess what you can't do? You can't lie to you and you can't run from you. You're stuck with you for the rest of your life. You better get good with who he is or who she is, right? But that's what I tell guys. Find that foundation that you cognitively and intentionally believe in. Not that society said you had to be, not that your blue collar upbringing said you had to be, not that living in the state of California said I had to be, not the the media said I had to be, who you want to be. Find that guy. That's the start because then the purpose is going to feel good when it's in alignment with him because guess what? I felt really strong with who I was in the military and when that all went away, I was lost because I did not align that guy with an unshakable foundation. That guy was, there's some features I still carry from him, but not all of him. And I had that ripped from me and I had to think, well, where's my purpose now? What the hell is my purpose? I'm literally not tied to that anymore. And so that's where purpose starts to come in. Because when you know who you are showing up every day, you're going to start to know what you're aligned with. And this doesn't mean passion. Passion is something that can fade out. It's just like, I, I love motivation, but it's just like motivation. Motivation is there to spark you. It's not habits sustain you. Like that's how you show up habits, right? And that's what passion is. Passion might be a spark, but passion isn't your purpose. Passion may lead you to your purpose. You might find out something within it that you really love. And you'll know that when you feel in full alignment. And I say this, I know that may seem esoteric to people, but I know alignment is when you're feeling good about something and it's not this chemical response, but it's a you wake up every day happy knowing that that is what you're showing up to do that day. That starts to become your purpose. And then you can drive to that purpose every single day and know exactly how you want to get there by just showing up as the man that you've now created. Oh, man. I love that. I hope guys just hit pause, go back, rewind, catch the last five minutes of you just going in because so much good stuff in there, man. I, I was thinking as you were talking about passion and purpose, I was kind of reviewing in my head. I was like, have I been telling people to follow their passion? Is that is that the message that I have behind purpose? Because when I hear you break it down that way, that's exactly how I hold. That's what I agree with is that passion, excitement, motivation, these are, these are things that are not sustainable. These are fleeting moments. And while I do agree with you that passion is valuable, it can illuminate some of what your purpose is. Like uh, It's like striking a match in a cavern, right? All at once, everything gets illuminated, but eventually that match is going to burn out and you still have to crawl around and feel your way through. What I heard in that that really popped out for me was you kept using the word be. And for most people, the discovery of purpose, they start with, what am I going to do? I think they make their purpose about a doing conversation. And eventually it gets tied to, how am I going to make money? And while I definitely see 
there's a possibility everybody can align their purpose with how they provide, that's not the starting point. <laughs> that's putting the cart before the horse. That's trying to figure out, well, what's going to make me money? And then can I get behind that is instead of who am I? And then does that me fit into this way of providing for myself and my family? And I think a lot of people get it backwards when it comes to that. So that question of who am I and, and giving ourselves full permission to decide who do I want to be? Can you really ask yourself that question and divorce yourself from all the other ideas or influences that have come in from parents, teachers, coaches, et cetera, and listen for what's actually there? The rest of your life, who do you want to be, regardless of what anyone else might have to say about that, and start from that point. Like you said, those simple principles, those values or virtues, whatever people are most connected to. And then letting that be the anchor point and even just focusing on, on that. I know a lot of people, especially guys who want to just get going are like, well, that's great. Let me write them down on paper and then I'll get going on what I'm going to do. It's like, well, spend some time, man, really anchor those things down because it's worth it. If you don't establish that foundation, you're ultimately going to go have, have to go back and rebuild it at some point. Because mm-hmm. passion with no connectivity to who you are becomes complete misalignment for your life. This is where you get millionaires and billionaires take a look back and all of a sudden they're 45, 50 years old and they're like, oh crap, I didn't enjoy any of this. And I also just freaking hate life now, even though I have all the money. That's I'm not saying this out of like some fairy tale story. This is real life. I've talked to these people. I'm sure you have too, Jetty. And these people have realized like, crap, I wasn't present in my life. I didn't enjoy my family while I had them. I didn't enjoy what I was doing while I had it. I just looked at the mountaintop, wanted to get there, pushed through to it. And now I hate everything about my life. You know, and that's because they weren't aligned with their passion because they didn't know who they were at a foundation. So passion without understanding your foundation is just misleading you to this spark of something that's going to eventually fizzle out. And you put that perfectly. It's think about, you know, the girl you met at the bar when you were 20 and you guys had this passion night and then you dated that girl for two years. And remember what it was like when six months hit a completely different relationship at six months, man. So it's like, That's the same thing. Passion started you on a path. The habits created whether or not that worked out. And that's what you have to do is is figure out when in the habits in this particular scenario are the foundational pieces, the foundational of who you are, not just following passion with misalignment, but following passion with alignment equals purpose. Heck yeah, man. That's like a, that's a super formula for success. I love that. Love it, man. The other one I'm taking with me, man, is that you can't outrun yourself. That's so good. You can't outrun yourself, man. That's such a good one. I love that. Well, listen, man, it's been awesome dropping it. I mean, dude, look, an hour just flies by, man. We're going to have to do like five more of these things to really excavate the whole thing. I love Uh, it, brother. (laughs) So good. I got a few closing questions for you and then you can tell everybody where to follow you, where to check out the podcast. So you ready for the lightning round? Absolutely, man. Let's do it. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew back when you were 18? Understanding yourself is more important than understanding anything else in this world. Mm, Love it. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Owning everything that you do, good and bad. 100%. Love that. Here's a new one I'm trying out. What is your superpower? Oh, man. My superpower is not sexy. (laughs) I'm able, one of my superpowers, I'm able to retain a lot of information and be able to regurgitate that and actually apply it to real life scenario and make people and allow people to understand that at a simpler form. So I can take, you know, very complex stuff and then break it down to where like, you know, people can really grasp what I'm talking about without actually having any background in it. 
that's what I really love that. And I would say that's a cool superpower, but it seems really boring. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a valuable skill, man. You're not you may not yeah. be the the number one action figure that everybody wants, but you're no, definitely a valuable I, part of the, the team. Thinker. <laughs> <laughs> the thinker. I could see the pose right now, just like putting your hand on your head. <laughs> the understander, he's coming. <laughs> the interpreter. <laughs> so not cool. So not cool. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, so where can people go to follow you? Obviously, go check out the Art of Masculinity podcast, everything else, man. Just hit us with the links and the info. Absolutely, brother. I really, really appreciate that. I'm humbled to have been on your show. I've been following you for a while. I love the message you're giving to men. So I just want to put that out there and everybody that's already following Jetty. I mean, you guys are on a great path because he's a great leader and guide for all men everywhere. So thank you, brother. For me, you can find me at johnnylsasser.com. It's a great place. You can see what's going on there. You can sign up for the email list and and learn about what's going on when things come out. Johnny.lsasser is my IG handle. You can follow me over there as well. That's where I tend to hang out most. And then you can follow The Art of Masculinity on Facebook and you can go check it out on iTunes. And and Jetty, you've been on there. You're actually, your episode comes out tomorrow, man. I'll be uh, sending you all the stuff, but I love it. It's a passion of mine. And just like you, brother, it's it's to help guys get on that right path and understand who they are to lead the best life possible for themselves. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. And you're doing some dope stuff out there. I think you told me you have Jack guys, you know, shooting out of helicopters and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. So <laughs> yeah, we got the wild man experience. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and we take guys through some of the things I loved when I was in special operations. And then we allow them this really cool three day container to bond with one another and create a good tribe of men around them through this cool, exhilarating experience. But then we give them a whole VIP kind of environment around all that. So heck yeah. Well, mark my words, man, I'm going to catch myself on one of those someday. You already got me hooked. And for those of you guys that don't, don't miss that first S in El Sasser. It's sneaky. It's a, everybody misses it, including me. Everybody so. <laughs> misses it. Sorry. Yeah. It's E-L-S-A-S-S-E-R. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, listen, dude, I love what you're doing out there. I love your energy. Looking forward to many more conversations and opportunities to collaborate on this battlefield of reclaiming our masculine power. Best of luck to you, man. You're an awesome dude and I appreciate what you're doing, bro. Thank you, brother. And I appreciate you being part of that fight with me. I wouldn't have a better battle buddy. So thank you. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed that episode today. Remember to go to risingman.org to check out all of our programs and opportunities for you to take a bigger leap forward in your life today, as well as links and resources connected to this show and every other episode we have. Risingman.org is where it's at. Wherever you're listening to us, please subscribe to the podcast. Go check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big things coming up with our YouTube channel going into 2021. So stop what you're doing, go to the YouTube channel and subscribe so you get those updates as soon as we drop them. Shout out to the power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Roy. Thank you guys for everything y'all are doing and everybody else out there. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. Your destiny.